This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, October 23rd, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Uh, Working from back in Connecticut, Taylor Schwenk, Parker Owen, Sarah Abbott. I'm Buster Only. I'm working from my hotel uh, down in Texas in Houston, guys. We've got a game seven for tonight. How much fun is that? Nothing better than win or go home. I mean, take it to the World Series, too. We're not talking about the divisional round. We're not talking about getting out of the wild card. This is to go to the big dance. I mean, what what could be better? It's all on the line. Right. Exactly. Sarah, what do you think? Never thought that we would be in this situation where we would be in a game seven, but I'm so excited for it. And, you know, might be a lifelong Rangers fan as of. Oh, no. As of a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. Parker, you got any predictions for tonight? Uh, don't have any predictions, but I'm just excited. Game seven is the two greatest words in sports. Well, okay. I, I wish you had a prediction because then that would imply that maybe you know what's going to happen because I don't, I have no idea. Uh, like we had game six in Houston here last night, uh, but before that, a lot of uncertainty about what was going to happen with Astros reliever Brian Abreu. Of course, they had that incident in game five uh, in Arlington on Friday night where he hit Adolis Garcia with a pitch. He was subsequently suspended for two games. So leading up to the game last night, we didn't know if he was going to peel that suspension, if he was going to be available last night. In fact, we don't even know if he's going to be available tonight. Uh, His his, uh, appeal of that suspension is scheduled for later today. We don't know if there's going to be a rendering uh, on that appeal before the start of tonight's game. It's possible he will not be available. We're going to get into that with Tim Kirchin, with Paul Hembikides, and with Sarah Langs coming up. All right, last night's game, Houston actually jumped out to a lead against Nathan Avaldi. The 1-0, here it comes to Alvarez, and he got jammed, but he sends it into center field. It will not be caught. Tavares comes up with it. Altuve is in. RBI number 14 for Jordan Alvarez, and here in the bottom of the first, they get to Evaldi and have a one nothing lead. That was Carl Ravitch on ESPN Radio. But you know what? The Rangers would come back with their power. It'll be Mitch Garver, Jonah Heim, and Nathaniel Lowe. Valdez first pitch. This ball is swung on, driven deep to right field. Tucker back. Tucker watching, and it's gone. That's a leadoff home run in the second for Mitch Garver. And just like that, the Rangers have tied the Astros one apiece. Valdez ready, here it comes, and that ball is driven to right field. This is deep, Tucker's going back, he's at the wall, he leaps. That's a two-run home run for Jonah Heim. He went the other way, and it just snuck over the glove of a leaping Tucker. Second home run of the night for the Rangers, and they lead it now 3-1. to one. Nathan Evaldi was terrific. Six and a third innings. He's been so great in the postseason in his career. He becomes, at the end of this game, uh, just the third pitcher in Major League Baseball history to have eight wins in his first ten starts in the postseason, in part because Mitch Garver just kept on adding on. Here he was in the top of the eighth. He's ready. Here it comes. And that ball smoked into left field. In the corner, fair ball off the wall. Garver's going to second. He's going to have a double there. He knocks in Evan Carter. And what a game for Mitch Garver. His third hit picks up an RBI, and it is 4-2 Texas. In the bottom of the eighth inning, the Astros threatened, and Bruce Bochy went to his closer, Jose LeClerc. Jonathan Singleton came to the plate. 
for the Astros with the bases loaded to pinch hit. Leclerc is ready again. Takes a deep breath, throws 3-2, swing, and a miss! He threw him a cutter up, and Jose Leclerc, his postseason legend, continues to grow deep in the heart of Texas. In the top of the ninth inning, this happened. One ball, one strike, one out. Oh, that ball is smoked to left field, and it is a grand slam! Adolis Garcia, and this time, instead of slamming the bat down, he just drops it and runs around the bases, and he has blown this one open. A grand slam off of Ryan Stanek. 9-2, and a statement from the Rangers. Now, the importance went beyond taking control this game because the Rangers extended their lead to seven runs. They were able to get Leclerc out of the game quickly, immediately. He didn't have to pitch at the bottom of the ninth inning. His pitch count for that one night limited to just those 15 pitches in the bottom of the eighth inning. After the game, I caught up with uh, Texas catcher Jonah Heim. Jonah, you guys are one win away from reaching the World Series. How are you feeling? Feeling great. Um, great team win today. Uh, pitching staff came in and did their job, and uh, we're going to enjoy this one, but we know we got a lot of work to do tomorrow. All right, and I also spoke with Bruce Bochy, the Rangers manager, not only about Game 6, but also Game 7. Bochy, you guys are now one win away from reaching the World Series. What stuck out for you tonight? Well, it starts with Nate. I mean, he set the tone out there. The starting pitcher always does. You know, we needed a, a good effort from him, and how many times has he done this? He, he's just amazing, and bullpen stepped up, but really, you look at the lineup. We had contribution from everybody. It's good to see Marcus have a, a really good day, but really, throughout the order, these guys threw out nice at-bats. How did you guys bounce back from losing those three games at your home field coming back here? Well, I say this so many times. You have no choice. You know, it, you you uh, hate to see what happened there at home, but yeah, you got to put it behind you. A big part of this game is about being resilient, getting up, and these guys have done it all year, so I'm not surprised at how well they played tonight. Garcia with a grand slam in the ninth inning. How did you feel for him after everything he went through in game five and then tonight? Right, four strikeouts, and here he is. He has a chance to blow it open, and uh, you know he, he's such a great player. He really is, defensively, offensively. He's our guy, our cleanup hitter. And just like the club I talk about, the players, they got to put those uh, tough games behind them, four strikeouts. He didn't think about it. He just think about driving the run, and he did that. One last one. Who's starting game seven and why? Well, Max, uh, he's starting. You know, you look at our starting uh, pitching situation. That's how it matched up, and we got him ready. I thought his stuff was good uh, last game and, you know, made a few mistakes. But, you know, it's good to have him going out there. And We're facing the tough pitcher. It's going to be a great ball game. Coach, thanks. That would be Christian Javier, who will start for the Astros. Dusty Baker talked about the Game 6 loss. I mean, it's disappointing. I mean, you know, the name of the game is opportunities. And then after that, you you know, you hope that you come through. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, um, you know, that eighth inning when we had action. And, uh, you know, we had, um, especially with Doobie up there, this guy's been coming through all year long, and you know he's going to make contact. And, uh, like I said, you know, some days you, you just don't get it done. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals on the hottest tickets. Experience it live. And the hottest ticket today, 
will be in, well, actually, I was going to say just, it, you know, for the whole day. You know that uh, there'll be a hot ticket here in Houston with the Rangers and the Astros. There'll also be a hot ticket in Philadelphia. Game six of that series between the Diamondbacks and Phillies because Arizona has extended this series, surprisingly. Uh, Philadelphia and Arizona were tied two games all going into game five on Saturday. Bryce Harper helped the Phillies off to a great start. Deal one. Runner goes. Pitches in for a strike. Delayed steal. Stott stops. Throw to the plate. Collision. And Harper is in safe. And now Moreno is down. Stott races to third. The ball gets away. And Gallon retrieves it. And the Phillies have a 2-0 lead as Harper and Moreno collided. And Moreno is shaken up. That was Boog Shambi and ESPN Radio. Moreno could continue going forward, but unfortunately that many had to watch this firsthand. And the 2-0. Swing and a high drive. Hammered right field. Way back. That one on its way. Gone. Kyle Schwarber crushes one. Way out of here. Over the pool. And the Phillies have a 3-0 lead. He took a curveball and he demolished it. Taylor, I hadn't heard that call. I thought that Boog would just go home run because it felt like it was that quick and it was that immediate, 461 feet. He's been predicting them too, so I'm surprised he didn't get, try and get that one out first. All right, two batters later, Bryce Harper came to the plate uh, and he crushed the ball. Let's see how quickly Boog called a home run here. The 3-2. Swing and a high fly ball crushed. Right field, way back there, gone! Bryce Harper! And that was hammered over the pool. And the Phillies now lead it four to nothing. That one was like 444 feet, if I remember correctly. Just a little bit shorter than Schwarber's. Here was the final call on Saturday. First and third, two outs. Strom ready. Here's a 2-2. Check swing. Did he go? Yes, he did. Struck him out. Ball game. Phillies won it. 6-1 the final. And the Phillies... We'll take a 3-2 lead in the NLCS back home. And they're now one win from the World Series. They'll have Aaron Nola going for them. And he'll go up against Merrill Kelly. Boog's a pro. Like, he set that up perfectly. I was going to set up the game six, but, you know, Boog already did the job. Um, Another note, the San Diego Padres granted permission for manager Bob Melvin to interview with the San Francisco Giants, sources told ESPN paving the way for an interdivision managerial change in the end of a contentious two-year relationship between Melvin and Padres general manager, uh, A.J. Preller. Uh, just uh, one other thing before we go, the Red Sox head of baseball operations candidates continue to be narrowed. Kim Ang declined an opportunity to interview for the Boston job after she essentially parted ways with the Marlins last week. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, new episode of the College Game Day podcast uh, that you can watch on YouTube or listen on this podcasting platform. Uh, Reese Davis is joined by Ryan McGee. They are going to talk about Ohio State grinding out a win against Penn State, uh, Alabama turning the tables on uh, Tennessee, you had Virginia upsetting North Carolina, busy weekend in college football. They'll break it all down on the College Game Day podcast. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. And Tim Kirkson covers baseball for ESPN. And we had to have Tim on this Monday because we've got a game seven coming up. In the American League Championship Series, we have a game six coming up in the National League Championship Series. And, Tim, you're the only person in the world who knows what's going to happen. So thank you for joining the show. Buster, the beauty of this season, more than any other season, is nobody knows what's going to happen. Look at the Padres, the Mets, the Yankees, the Cardinals. Look at the Reds, the Marlins, the Orioles, and the Diamondbacks. Anyone who thinks he understands what's going on, doesn't and if you think you get this stuff you don't and baseball doesn't want you to understand this so i i joke with eduardo all the time please tell me what's going to happen so i can start to make plans he doesn't know nobody knows and that's why it's so so good i asked Corey seager in the rangers clubhouse late last night uh if he had young teammates who asked him about a game seven what would he tell them give a listen Right, what would you tell teammates who haven't played in a game seven before? That they're a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> they are. You know, this is what you want. You know, one game to decide who's going to win. And we're looking forward to it tomorrow. Yeah. So I think, that, and I think that's a fair way to do it. it you know, Corey Seegers. Uh, you know, he's often very. Um, uh, he he's very short with his words, but I think he's 100 percent right, Tim. Yeah, um, I'm going to count up how many Game 7s that I've covered as soon as I get off the podcast. There there have been a lot of them. And last night, of course, was the first team to win an elimination game in this postseason. And everything changes when it's an elimination game. And tonight, of course, is a double elimination game. If we had played Game 5 of this series in a as a game seven, no matter what, it would have been a top five game of all time because so much is riding on it. Now everything is riding on tonight's game. And that's, that only adds to the drama and the theater. I, I can't wait to see which player decides to win the game tonight and maybe which player decides to lose it. It's just so, so difficult to tell. 
All right, before we get into uh, more on that game uh, and into the Phillies and Diamondbacks, I want to ask you about a couple of front office managerial type things going on. Uh, we got word officially yesterday that the Padres have granted permission to the San Francisco Giants for Bob Melvin uh, to interview for their managerial opening. Um, something been hearing about for a few weeks uh, because Farhan Zaidi, head of baseball operations, knows uh, Bob Melvin from their time together with the Oakland Athletics. I don't think this is anything other than an embarrassment for the Padres that whoever was, you know, whatever was responsible for the breach between A.J. Preller and Bob Melvin, I think it's embarrassing for the organization that it couldn't be worked out. What do you think? Well, it's just amazing to me that Bob Melvin wants to interview somewhere else and that the Padres want him to interview somewhere yes. else. And I That's put a that great way to put it. And I put that directly on the Padres, just like you're saying. If if things were really going well there, there's no way he would want to go anywhere else. There's no way the Padres would allow him to go anywhere else. So this is a, this is a sign to me that things aren't well there between the manager and the front office. And I think that's a problem and it'll be fascinating. I just don't know how he comes back to the Padres now. If he says, yes, I would like to interview somewhere else. Uh, Just not sure it works that way. And it just shows how dysfunctional the Padres have been this year where that team should have made the playoffs and it really wasn't all that close. Yeah. Can you think of any other examples that a manager moved from the Padres to the Giants unwanted by the general manager? I, I Nothing really pops to mind for me, Tim. What about you? Well, the big headed guy who now manages the Rangers and might have them in the World Series as early as tomorrow is the perfect example that Bruce Bochy moves up the coast and wins three World Series, gets himself into the Hall of Fame. I would think the Padres would take notice of that. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like Mike Schilt, Ryan Flaherty are two of the candidates that the Padres will evaluate, assuming that the move of uh, Melbourne from the Padres to the Giants uh, reaches the finish line. And we got word over the weekend that Kim Ang joins the long list of people who basically said uh, that she didn't want to interview for the job of head of baseball operation for the Red Sox. Tim, I thought she would have been a perfect fit. Uh, well, given her experience, given the fact that she's demonstrated that she can be aggressive in making moves, uh, she did such a great job in the last year. And I've said many times, I thought that was the, you know, the problem with Heimblum in Boston. He didn't seem to have an urgency that matched the the fan base's urgency. Uh, and I think Kim would have been a great fit there. And she knows Alex Cora. What'd you think of that? Yeah, I was a little surprised that she declined, but, um, Maybe we shouldn't be. One of the one of the Boston writers came up to me the other day and said, uh, "You interested in being the general manager of, of the Red Sox? Because they can't find anybody else." I, I think this has to go, Buster. I'm not involved up there as like I used to be, but it's a difficult place to work because ownership is such a odd situation there. Uh, that should be a great great job. They have a pretty good team. They have a great manager. They have more money than anyone. Why wouldn't a general manager want to go there? I think that speaks directly to how that team is run right from the top. Now, at one point, they did have success with a first-time general manager named Theo Epstein. Like, they they did okay uh, with him running the show, and maybe that, that uh, you know, that's the, the new general manager comes in, whoever that's going to be. Maybe that's the success that person has. 
but I don't think it's ideal to have another first timer after what they experienced with Hein Bloom. All right. You mentioned tonight. Uh, do you seriously have a feel? Do you have a gut feel for game seven Rangers and Astros based on what we've seen, which is includes the home, the road team losing every, uh, excuse me, the road team winning every single game in the series potentially the first time that every game in a seven-game series has been won by the road team since 2019, the only other time in baseball history. And, of course, that game seven was played in Houston and won by the team uh, whose starting pitcher that day was Max Scherzer, who starts tonight for the Texas Rangers. It's kind of crazy how it all worked out. Do you have any feel for what's going to happen tonight? Uh, I don't, to repeat, but, I mean, it's – I really like Christian Javier on the mound for the Astros. His postseason record is ridiculous. He's seven and one with a 2.08 ERA in his postseason career. He's a strike thrower. He's got a disappearing fastball. He's on full rest. And that's the reason I like the Astros for the moment. Max Scherzer has a chance to go out there and dazzle for six innings, but it'll be a second start since September the 12th. That's still a lot of rust for him to get off in pitching such a big game. There's something special going on with the Rangers. I've seen every single one of their postseason games this year, and I'm so impressed with how the game, how they play the game. But the Astros still are the Astros, and they're still the champions until somebody beats them. So do I have a gut feeling? I picked the Astros to go to the World Series uh, at the beginning of the year and at the beginning of the playoffs. So I'm going to stay with them that somehow, some way they're going to take the Brian Brayu uh, uh, suspension and turn it into a positive. I have no idea how they're going to turn that into a positive if he's not capable or able to pitch tonight, but somehow they always find a way to do that. And with Jordan Alvarez, Jose Altuve, Christian Javier, and Ryan Presley at the end, I'm going to say they find a way to win the game tonight, but ask me how that's going to happen. I don't know. And if the Rangers win nine to two again, I won't be surprised at all. Yeah. And and I'm going to ask you about the Braves situation and what happened uh, with his ejection and suspension coming up here. But I, I, you know, just to get back to tonight, Scherzer pitching for the Rangers. I just get the feeling they have no idea if he's going to be effective tonight. I do know this having known Bruce Bochy a lot. You've known him for a long time. Uh, watched him run bullpens. He will be aggressive in following up Scherzer tonight. I don't think any manager is better at having a feel for running a pitching staff than Boach, which means that I think first sign of trouble, he's going to have a reliever up, and Jordan Montgomery is going to play a role in tonight's game. What do you think? No doubt about Jordan Montgomery. We asked him that yesterday. Montgomery available tomorrow. If there is a tomorrow, he said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know how Boach mumbles so beautifully. Uh, yes, uh, nobody's run a bullpen better than Bochy the last 20 years, and he's done it in this series because he doesn't have the same bullpen that he had in San Francisco with the Rangers, and yet mixing and matching, including the way he got through last night, uh, was very impressive. So, yes, a lot of people will pitch in this game. Max Scherzer will start. Maybe he'll be great. You know, when we talked to him the other day about that slider buster that he just doesn't seem to get the right feel for, he disputed that, saying, I only had, I only made one mistake with my slider. That was it, meaning he thinks he's got it under control. If he does, and the rest of that stuff is still awfully firm, if he's got those three pitches going, he's got a chance to be good tonight. I think if uh, if Max and I had, had the chance, I would have looked. I'd love to look at video with him and say, "No, it's, it wasn't necessarily you're making mistakes with the pitch. 
It's just that a lot of the sliders he threw were non-competitive. You know, a pitch that he uses often to finish off hitters just didn't seem to be there the other night. Uh, I wasn't able to hear all of you guys in the radio broadcast last night in the ninth inning, but I'm guessing you pointed out that the Rangers had one tremendous benefit for what happened in the ninth inning, and that is that Jose Leclerc, their closer, got to come out of the game uh, once they built up that huge uh, lead in the ninth inning. Right. As soon as Adolis Garcia hit the grand slam, we all said at the same time, now they can give a rest to Leclerc, who's going to need it because he's really the only guy who gets ninth, ninth inning outs for this team. And that allowed them to bring Andrew Heaney in. And he just cruised through the ninth inning and gave Leclerc a rest. And people say, oh, come on. It's just a matter of 10 pitches, 20 pitches. No, it that really, really matters when you're, you know you have to pitch the next day. That was the biggest part of Garcia's homer is he got Leclerc out of the game and gave him a chance to rest that arm for an inning that might have been, might have been wildly high stress. Instead, it was somebody else pitching it. Great benefit for the Rangers. As you and I talk on Monday morning, we don't know exactly what's going to happen with Brian Abreu. In the press conference last night, I asked Dusty Baker about the potential impact of not having Abreu available in a game seven. Give a listen. Yep. Dusty, did uh, Abreu's situation have any impact on your decisions tonight, A, and with his appeal being uh, heard tomorrow potentially, yeah. how big of a blow could that well, potentially be if he's not in your bullpen? Yeah, that could be a, you know, a huge blow. You know, uh, I thought about using him, you know, two innings today, you know, had the decision been made, but uh, you'd hate to, uh, you know, have the... Uh, uh, you know, the fine and the suspension uh, go past tomorrow, and then I wouldn't have had uh, a Brady tomorrow, you know, had he gone two innings. So, you know, you wish you had a decision. You wish you had, a, uh, you know, some final uh, decision, of, you know, by the status. So, you know, we took a shot there. Hopefully uh, some of this will be postponed, and we'll have him tomorrow as well. That uncertainty, Tim, I think may have played uh, out in other ways in, in game six last night. I wondered as I was watching it play out, if Dusty knew that he had a Bray available for game seven, would he have been more aggressive in using Ryan Presley with a two-run deficit uh, in, in game six rather than go to Montero, who's not been good for the uh, Astros this year. And, he, of course, they, the game gets blown open in that ninth inning. Uh, I, I think – this is a big deal for Dusty. <laughs> like this is someone who's so important to the bat last, uh, you know, last three innings, the way he manages his team. Right. I mean, he's the best eighth inning guy in the league and he's a sensitive kid. I'm sure he was out there thinking about suspension and, you know, every missing a game while he's trying to pitch in a major league game. I don't think he did him. It did him any favors putting him out there, but he had to go out there. But now they're down to Ryan Presley has to pitch two innings tonight. He did it the other night. It was brilliant. By the way, he is, he is so good. This is 18 consecutive postseason appearances without allowing an earned run. This is, he's, he's converted all 14 saves uh, at the start of his career in the postseason. No one's ever done that. And a guy from the Elias sent me something the other day, Dusty say, uh, Buster, saying, you need to look that the, the second greatest postseason reliever ever after Mariano Rivera is Ryan Presley. He said, look at the numbers. That's what a, a, 
a stat guy volunteered to me. That's how good Presley is, but they're going to need him for, for maybe six outs tonight if Abreu is not available because that really deep, versatile bullpen that helped them win the World Series last year is not nearly as deep or as versatile with Montero not being so good and with Abreu potentially out. And I really think that uh, the, the Major League Baseball has blown this in two ways. You know, in the end, uh, the buck stops with MLB. The original ejection I thought was ridiculous uh, during that game after Adolis Garcia was hit in game five. And then I think their handling of this is terrible. I think the Astros deserve some certainty about what's going to happen and not have the situation as you and I talk on Monday morning. We don't know. Well, we know his appeal is scheduled to be heard. We don't know if a decision's coming down on that. We don't know if he's going to be available. Uh, we don't know if he's not going to be available. We don't know if the Astros move on. Is he going to be available in game one of the World Series? There should be certainty, Tim. Brian Abreu shouldn't be sitting out in the bullpen, uh, you know, or even in the clubhouse before game six, not knowing what his status is. Right. Just like Dusty Baker should not have been handcuffed last night with decisions, not knowing if his guy is going to be available tomorrow, not knowing it's something that look first off he should have never been ejected he should have never been suspended and this has thrown what is a great series some even more mystery to it but mystery that we simply don't need and shouldn't have so tell me why you mentioned and i knew that uh, you and eduardo felt the same way about him being ejected explain why you felt like he shouldn't have been ejected well just look at the situation look i know garcia pimp the home run and and people get angry about that, but you can always get back at somebody because there's always retaliation to baseball. You could have hit him in the first inning of a nothing, nothing game, or you could have waited till you play him the first time next year. No one ever forgets this stuff, but you don't hit a guy on purpose when you're down in the ninth inning in a winnable game, you put another runner on base, the ball got away from him. I just can't see how the umpires could have judged the intent of Abreu there when the situation absolutely called for him to get the batter out, not put another runner on base. Yeah, and the tell for me that Major League Baseball, uh, in handling this, they they wanted to make it seem like that, uh, as you say, they judge intent. In the press release they sent out, they said that all six umpires agreed that it was on purpose. <laughs> I was like, there's no way. And A, you, you and I have covered plenty of games where a guy gets hit and the home plate umpire immediately points a finger and ejects him. That didn't happen. Right. Like, Garcia gets hit. There's the pushing and the shoving, and he's yelling at Maldonado, and then eventually some teammates get a hold of him. Uh, it was it Jose Abreu gets a hold of him, and they're talking to him, and, and they settle it down, and then they talk, and that's when they eject uh, uh, you know, that's when they ejected Abreu. It wasn't like something that happened right away. I, I thought that was terrible with everything. And and I, I've heard from plenty of people who work in the game who were shocked at the ejection in that situation. Yeah, I was shocked. And the only people who weren't shocked were the Rangers because the Rangers and Astros yeah. have gone against each other quite a bit here. Bunch of hit batters. Garcia's been hit before. There's a history there. There's no doubt about that. But the history doesn't necessarily um, mean anything when you're in the, the ninth inning of game five of the ALCS. You have to control your emotions. I don't think he hit him on purpose. Call me the most naive guy in the world, but that did not call for a hit batter there. All right. We've got uh, game six of Philadelphia and Arizona coming up. 
Uh, I am shocked that the Diamondbacks extended the series in the way that they did. Uh, you know, give credit to them. Craig Kimbrell has melted down. Um, first off, I just get your thoughts on the Diamondbacks from the weekend uh, and the way that they came back repeatedly. Yeah, I'm very impressed with the Diamondbacks. Again, Buster, young, hungry, athletic players. And the manager tells them, just go take it to the other team. They took it to the Brewers. They really took it to the Dodgers. And they won two games against the Phillies, but most people didn't give them a chance to win one. So this is something to really build on for the Diamondbacks. I don't think they're going to win the series because the Phillies are a better team. And they're going to be in front of that ridiculous crowd, which is so good. And they've got Aaron Nola going. So I think this series ends tonight. But but even though the, the Diamondbacks only won 84 games, they're showing signs of what young, hungry, athletic teams can do. And, and this is really good for baseball, Buster. This is what the Orioles did. This is what the Reds have done. This is what the Diamondbacks are doing there. And this is what the Yankees kind of did at the end of the year, took their best young kids up and said, look, just show some energy, just show some heart, just go out there and play as hard as you can. Sounds corny. That should happen with every team every night, but that's what young, hungry, athletic kids are always looking to do. So tell me what you've seen in Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper in this oh. postseason, who hit those two monster home runs in game five. Yeah, well, anyone who questions who Bryce Harper is, where he's going, what he's done, just hasn't been watching for the last 12 years. That guy's great. He's always been great. His postseason OPS is over 1,000. What he's done with the Phillies, he hit the biggest home run in the history of the team last year against the Padres, and just the ball he hit the other night is, to me, the, the, the passion and the anger and the power with which Schwarber and Harper play just translates to the entire team. And it's the biggest reason why the Phillies are so dangerous is the leadoff guy might hit one 450 and two batters later. So might the three guy. All right, Tim, thanks for doing this. I'll see you at the ballpark in a bit. Okay, Buster. Thanks. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo, of course, is Paul Ambikides, uh, someone who is Mike Greenberg's right-hand man on the show Get Up uh, and on his radio show. Hembo, a tense weekend for you as a Phillies fan. Yeah, no kidding. I, I thought we were going to get to to enjoy a, a, a coronation in Arizona that some of my brethren might slip the slip through the stands and jump in the pool out there and then go to jail. Like That was my, my, uh, my expectation. But as it turns out, the, the this team really made him sweat. And I think it goes back to something I told you a week ago, which is let's not discount the team in Arizona that reached the NLCS and absolutely dropkick Milwaukee and the Dodgers on their way to do it. It's a young, talented team. I think they're very, very well managed. They're obviously maximizing their players right now. And, and despite the, you know the hiccup in Philadelphia, which is a hiccup that every team has had throughout the playoffs, the Diamondbacks have been great. They've been great on both sides of the ball. So I tip my cap to them. It's going to be really difficult for them to win games six and seven in Philadelphia. But this is a really good team. And a lot of my brethren in the city of brotherly love discounted Arizona after game two. But I was not among them. I've had respect for this team all along. All right. We got a game seven here in Houston. Uh, and it's going to be complicated by the situation around Brian Abreu, who is the you know, top setup man for the Astros. Uh, as you and I talk, we don't know if he's going to be available for tonight's game. We don't know if the suspension will go into effect. What did you think of him initially being ejected and then suspended? Yeah, so as a, as a fan of the old school, as one who waves that flag on this podcast loudly and proudly, 
I was stunned. I was stunned and disappointed by the fact that Abreu was ejected in the moment. And even more so that after uh, further review, Major League Baseball decided to suspend him. Now, I would imagine that once the umpiring crew has discerned that this is intentional, Major League Baseball doesn't have much of a choice except to back up their umpires. I think they put them in a bad position if the umpires say this was intentional and then Major League Baseball says, ah, no worries. You know, that's not, to me, that's a hypocritical stance to take. So I think the umpire's decision in the moment to kick him out of that game was the impetus that Major League Baseball needed to back up their own umpiring crew. So I understand the synergy from that perspective. But candidly, I, I found the decision to be steadfastly ridiculous. Uh, proving intent is very, very challenging. And I know the circumstances of the game would suggest that it was intentional and it was hard to watch it in the moment without appearing as such. But look, the only difference between me and Dusty Baker is that Dusty Baker, if I were in his shoes, I would have had to be forcibly removed from the dugout rather than just walk uh, on my own volition after scolding the umpires for 10 minutes. To me, this is too, these stakes are too large for you to make a decision based upon things that we don't know for sure. And Abreu is such an incredibly consequential, like he's going to be one of the most important players if he plays in all of Game 7. So to put the series in, in some sense in jeopardy as a result of a subjective decision, I found to be disappointing. Yeah, and what I didn't, didn't like about it was it felt like that there was latitude given to Garcia for his actions. Yeah. in game five, but there was not for Abreu. Like the assumption was, and I, I mentioned to Tim that I really felt like that the, the uh, press release from MLB was the complete tell uh, of they knew they were a little bit on thin ice when they say all six umpires agreed. And I'm like, you can't get six people to agree on anything. And so they're <laughs> like, yeah, all six umpires agree, which is like someone at a, at a neighborhood poker game saying, I've got four aces. I'm not kidding. Right. I mean, it just it felt ridiculous. But uh, on one hand, there's no latitude given for Abreu. Uh, you know, they act as if they know exactly what he was doing. And on the other hand, Garcia, you and I have seen all during the season, if somebody's hit and they start the situation, and there's no doubt after Garcia got hurt, hit, he sort of ignited this situation where he's yelling at Martin Maldonado and he starts to push and he's pushing against an umpire and teammates are containing him. The fact that he didn't get suspended even one game for that and I'm, you know, as I, I'm with you, I, I wish that they had just moved on with all the players. But the fact that they didn't give him a suspension for that uh, tells you that they were willing to give some latitude. I don't know why Abreu didn't have it. And I'd say this too, uh, Hembo, that there exists within the Astros organization this feeling after the science ceiling stuff that, you know, baseball is against them. Like there's this uh, conspiracy. And I got to say, like, the situation like this would only fuel that. It's not a good look. Uh, it's not a good look and it's the wrong decision just objectively. I mean, Garcia was the one who instigated the whole thing. I understand like the hit batsman by itself looks bad in a vacuum, especially given the context, but it's not like the player who uh, in this case retaliates should be above reproach. And especially considering like the, the level to which he escalated the situation, there's no world in which he should not receive the same exact penalty as a brain. That's why major league baseball should have just wiped their hands after the game. Okay. They were both ejected. Let's not impact the balance of power in the best series that we have over yes. a bunch of subjective stuff. I understand the idea of backing your umpires, but when you can remove yourself from the emotion and you can watch the video and you can think about things clearly and rationally the way that Justin Verlander articulated after the game, like, look, this is a baseball situation. This is not a situation in which any reasonable person would hit another, especially in a playoff game. Uh, told me all I needed to know. I happened to agree with him at the time, regardless of whether or not it was intentional. There is no world in which a suspension should have been levied. And I think Brian Abreu could wind up being like a humongous X factor 
in game seven as a result. Yeah, I think what the baseball should do to, to be able to write this as, as much as possible is as early as possible today. Maybe as you and I are talking, Major League Baseball should reach out to his reps and say, okay, here's the deal. We're going to suspend him for whatever. We're going to stick with the two games. We're going to reduce it to one, and we're going to enforce that at the beginning of next year. What you were hearing from baseball on uh, the last 24 hours was essentially, well, the precedent uh, is that uh, you, you suspend players during the postseason. That happened with Jay Howell during the 1988 playoffs. He had some sticky substance on his glove, and he was taken off the field. But you and I both know this. There's also precedent to not do anything. Bert Campanaris, shortstop for the Oakland Athletics, threw a bat at Laren LeGros of the Detroit Tigers after he was hit by a pitch in the 1972 playoffs. He was suspended for a week. They deferred that into the next year. So there's there's precedent either way, Hambo. Yes, and what I don't want, the worst case scenario for Major League Baseball is one in which the Astros are leading in Game 7, 5-4 to four in the eighth inning. They blow the lead. Abreu is suspended, and the entire series is then covered up or overshadowed by the fact that Major League Baseball made this decision and it had a direct impact on the outcome. That's what we need to avoid, and that's where cool heads need to prevail. We need to live in a world in which the league has as sterling a reputation with the public as possible and is consistent across the board with its decisions. I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in a world in which Astros fans all winter long are complaining about the fact that our best reliever didn't get a chance to impact Game 7 and it cost us the pennant. That is not what Major League Baseball wants, and that should be made like that's that's what should be discussed. If I'm if I'm in Rob Manfred's office this morning or who's ever making these decisions, I'm saying we don't we, we need to uh, uh, map out the scenario in which best case and worst case scenario happens here. If the Astros wind up losing a game because of this decision, we wouldn't be able to live with ourselves. We sh- like we should we should remove ourselves from the situation. It's not like this is an egregious thing. I think the clear and obvious answer here is to not suspend Brian Abreu. I thought it was ridiculous at the time, and I feel even more so now with the benefit of hindsight. All right, as we go into Game 7, what are some big-picture things you're looking for for this, uh, this, this outing? I'll give you the single biggest factor of Game 7, Buster. This is something that you asked me to look up uh, every single um, uh, postseason because it looms large every single postseason. I look at bullpen performance without rest. How does my bullpen perform when my pitchers can't line themselves up in a row and are fresh? In this series, the numbers are really loud. All right, in, in 15 innings, Rangers relievers have allowed 11 runs without rest in the series. 16 and a third runs for the Astros, zero runs allowed. I think this series will come down to the last three games of game seven. That, that, that's what's going to happen. I think that is, that's always kind of been my feel. Last three innings, series. you mean, not games. Last three Excuse innings. Excuse me, last three innings of game seven. My mistake, Buster. The last three innings of this game will determine the outcome of the series and thus the pennant. The Astros' bullpen, even without Brian Abreu, I think is better equipped with more depth, with more swing and miss, than Texas is. It hasn't always played that way, but I always think the lack, the lack of rest looms large and there's going to be a reliever or two that comes in for whom the moment is going to be too large. And I think that's going to be advantage Astros in a game that is decided in the final three innings. That said, how big was that last night that the Rangers pile up all those ninth inning runs and Bruce Bochy, who doesn't miss a thing, like he acts so quickly, gets LeClerc out of the game, puts in Andrew Heaney and saves those pitches for tonight. Huge, um, not just from the perspective of his game script pitching-wise, but honestly, it was pretty big that Garcia got off the schneid after striking out four times because yeah. he's such a massive part of that lineup. 
And you obviously could tell that his, his, his mental just wasn't there after the, the wave of emotion that he experienced previously to go up there and hit a grand slam. Like I expect him to be locked in tonight too. And he's the guy in that lineup right now that I'm scared of more than anyone else, because like, you know, that his highs are that like, Oh yeah, I, I can pop a grand slam because I, I can, I can bum rush something up in the zone. But like when he's not on, we saw what, what that looked like, you know, entering the, uh, entering the ninth inning. And that is, like a huge uh, swing in that game, a huge variance right there. And so Garcia getting right is also massive for Texas as well. Phillies Diamondbacks, what do you think? So, yeah, so it's really difficult for me, even when I uh, remove my, my fandom here, to see a clear path for Arizona winning game six and seven. The, the Phillies numbers at home, Buster, are just astonishing. In six games, they've outscored their opponent 39-8 to eight this postseason and out-homered their opponent 17-2. to two. Like these are these are video game numbers. I think we'll know within the first three innings whether Arizona is live in the series or not, Buster. Here's the number I'll use to demonstrate that. So in the postseason this year, the Phillies, the first time through the order, their lineup, they've got an OPS of 1,100. They have, uh, with rare exception, ambushed the opposing starter early in the game, and that's enabled them to set up their game script. Whereas Phillies opponents have an OPS of 615 the first time through the order. And that's why the, so many of these Phillies games have looked so similar. Like they get it, they, they mount this lead early and enables their starting pitchers to pitch aggressively to command their stuff within the zone. And then you hand the ball to the bullpen when you don't have to necessarily feel perfect. That could totally change in Citizens Bank Park if the Diamondbacks can get out to an early lead. All of a sudden, those Phillies fans are a little bit more tense. I know that feeling. We're a fan base that's going <laughs> to react that way. That we, we just are. So I think the first time through the order with Merrill Kelly and Aaron Nola is absolutely massive. My expectation is that between Schwarber and Harper and Stott, one of these lefties is going to pop a, pop a home run early. That's kind of been the formula, and I think they'll be able to coast. If not, if the Diamondbacks can get to the fourth or fifth inning in game six and they're still live, I, I think we're talking about a seven-game series. I really do because this team is excellent and, have, and has showed me a lot more than I expected. But that first time through the order looms large because the Phillies have been so much more prepared uh, than their opponent in those situations. Hembo, I think I, I really hope that you can sleep overnight. And if you can't sleep, I hope you have a uh, like an IV set up where coffee going right into your veins for tomorrow. That's right. That coffee is going to be a red buster. I can't wait. At least we get the early game, the five o'clock game. By the time I go to sleep, hopefully my team is going to be dancing on its own. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Zero, zero, nine, six. This 
This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. We have two games. One is the game seven. This is the ideal. I'm doing wonderful. How are you, Russell? Good. The last day with two baseball games in it, right? I know. The whole year. Don't put it that way. I mean, then I have to figure out what day swing training starts. No, oh, I thought you'd I thought you'd start to look at the winter ball schedule and the broadcast well, no. schedule for winter I mean, ball. I do watch those, obviously. And I've been trying to keep up a little bit. Their season actually started a few days ago. So I'll be watching those one once the World Series ends. And there's actually three games at City Field in early November. So there will be a lot of lead dome going on for me, I promise. <laughs> so uh, Taylor and I were going back and forth trying to figure out what we're going to do with t- the Tuesday podcast because I have a 7.45 a.m. flight uh, and the layover I have in Salt Lake City as I go back to Montana for a couple days is only like 45 minutes. So I can't do baggage claim uh, on, on that stopover as I normally do. And then the alternative at that point would be potentially to tape a podcast at like three o'clock in the afternoon. So we're thinking, you know, we're going to tape something with Carl like 7.15 Eastern time, and which would mean you would piggyback that and go sometime around 7.45. But you apparently have been woken up early a lot lately in your neighborhood. What's that about? I have been. So first of all, I love that we're discussing this because if I do oversleep now, everyone will know it if they listen to this edition of the podcast. <laughs> Because they know I'm supposed to be on, so even more pressure. But yes, there's jackhammering that's been starting every morning by 8 a.m. on my street. And, you know, I'm all for beautification of cities and (laughs) works progress and all of that. But I do wish that they knew that not everybody is already on their way to work at 8 a.m. every day. Some of us stay up late watching baseball and are not waking up quite that early. I have been lately. Very nice. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is six. So this ALCS has a lot of really intriguing storylines. And one of those is that no home team has won a game yet. This is the second best of seven series in postseason history where the road team has won each of the first six games. The other was 2019 World Series where the road team actually won each of the first, all of the games, all seven of the games. That's the only time that's happened. And you know what's really crazy is that the team with the home field advantage in each of these series has been the Houston Astros. And even more so, the visiting Game 7 startup matches with both times. Number two. Number two is 62. It's 62 and 63. So continuing with our home team and road team kind of theme here, home teams, teams playing in their home ballparks are 62 and 63 all the time in winner-take-all postseason games. I've been updating this set for, I mean, Seven years at this point, however long I've been doing this, and it's always incredible to me that there's no real home field advantage in these games because you think, and we've all been to these games, and you assume, oh, the crowd, oh, being in your home ballpark 
whatever it may be, it may really sway the game one way or the other, but the data says otherwise. Number one. Number one is five. So I want to talk a little bit about what the Phillies did over the weekend and heading into their game six today. So college world is his fifth home run of the postseason. It's also his fifth home run of the series. So five home runs are tied for the second most in a single series in postseason history behind only Nelson Cruz in 2011 in the ALCS. He had six. So if Schwarber goes yard today or if there's another game tomorrow and he does then, he would be tying or theoretically standing on that record, depending on what he's able to do. And I feel like we've been talking about uh, Philly's home runs all postseason. They now had three guys with at least five home runs this postseason with Schwarber, Harper, who also hit his fifth in that game, and Nick Cassianos. They're the third team in postseason history to have three guys with five home runs in a single postseason. They also did it last year with Harper and Schwarber and Reese Hoskins, and then the Astros did it in 2017 without two big crayons spring. All right. I'm going to push back a little bit when you said, you know, that it's, it, the, the data shows no home field advantage. And I'm going to say, wait a second, Phillies. The Phillies. It just feels like there's a if there's an exception to that, maybe potentially it could be in Philadelphia. Oh, absolutely. I just mean specifically in the game seven winner right. tank all type of scenario where I think, you know, totally, you know, in a vacuum, you just think, oh, the home team must have an advantage. I do agree for a Philly winner take all game, there has to be an advantage. They have the best home record of any team named Ballpark with a minimum of 20 games. I said if it gets to a game seven tomorrow, I don't really expect that given what I just said. But yes, I just meant in these games overall. All right. Yeah, you're going to have 42,000 people going crazy in Citizens Bank Park plus Sarah Abbott in her home as a lifelong, yeah. uh, as a lifelong Phillies fan of one year. Uh, and before you go, I wanted to get your opinion. We've all weighed in this morning. Tim Kirkchin, Paul Embicates, myself, on the ejection and suspension of Brian Abreu. Uh, and as uh, you and I, as I was getting ready to talk to you, I got a note that uh, that Abreu's hearing will happen today, but it's uncertain whether or not a decision will come down before Game 7. Sarah, I hate the fact that there's so much uncertainty around this. I don't think it's right. I think that the Astros deserve better than that. What do you think? I mean, I just, I hate to see the idea that no matter what happens, people are going to point to this as being a deciding factor in this series either way. You like to see it fully, you know, determined on the field. I understand he threw up and then I understand the context, all of that. I mean, certainly in the ejection, you see where that's coming from. We understand why these suspensions happen. These rules are in place for a reason, of course, but, you know, I just feel badly that if the Rangers were to win and his suspension will be, were to be upheld, that some people will point to that and say, oh, that decides the series. Yeah. Ultimately, you just wish these things wouldn't happen at all, but this is how it goes, so we'll see. Uh, but, you know, I want to know myself just preparing and 
getting ready to research the game and see what happens. So hopefully we find out soon. Yeah, uh, it, it was mentioned a few times that, uh, yeah, precedent says you can suspend a player during the postseason, he misses games, and there's been that, you know, Jay Howell I mentioned, but then there's also precedent to not suspend a player for actions. Uh, have you ever watched the video of Bert Campanaris uh, getting hit by a pitch and then helicoptering his bat over the head of Laren LeGros, the pitcher of the Tigers? It, from the 72 playoffs, Bert Campanaris has been playing well, Sarah. Okay, he was a speed guy. He's stealing bases, he's running all over the place. So Laren LeGros, first batter, Burt Campanaris, drills him in the ankle. I mean, I can't get inside his head, as we talked about, but it certainly appeared intentional. And Burt Campanaris is so enraged that he takes his bat, and you can find this on YouTube, and he whips his bat at the pitcher, and Laren LeGros at six foot eight has to bend down and see oh the, the bat go sailing over his head. I, I, I would recommend that video for watching today. That's a scary one. I mean, certainly this was not that egregious, so that is worth noting. But, you know, I understand the perspective of not wanting to get any further. We know how often these things really compound upon themselves. So I assume that's part of where that's coming from. But, uh, man, some of these fights from back then are something else. Uh, yeah, so... Bert Campanaris helicopters bat over Laren the Gros head and he's suspended for seven games, but they deferred that to the start of the next season. So there is precedent to defer some of these matters. And I wish baseball in this case would do that. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me. We'll talk to you early on Tuesday. Let's go. Bleacher tweets. All righty, Buster Bleacher tweets for a Monday. First up, we have Noah. Noah writes in two words. Game seven, two more words, Adolis Garcia. I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was very funny last night because he looked terrible. Like, he looked really affected by that crowd. You know, you get four strikeouts, and then you hit the, you know, the grand slam. I don't know. Do you have any feel for what he's going to do tonight? No, no feel. Absolutely not. Do you? <laughs> No, no. So I, 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 you know, I'm not not ready to anoint him. I, I do think that probably the biggest engine tonight's game is Max Scherzer. You know, mm-hmm. and I think we're going to know right away, which is why I think Bruce Boach is going to manage aggressively. Next up, we've got Cito Samuel, aka Big Cito. He writes in, "It's a good one. What pending free agent is making themselves the most money this postseason, and or what trade deadline acquisition is having the biggest impact on their squad this postseason?" Well, well, the biggest impact, I mean, Paul Seawald, you could have make an argument for mm. uh, for it being installed at the back end of the Arizona bullpen. He's been tremendous, uh, you know, down the stretch. Tommy Pham has been great in terms of someone making a lot of money. How about Jordan Montgomery? Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. Like every time he takes the mound, you know that his agent's sitting there going ka-ching, 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 because <laughs> he's in a great spot. And by the way, he's pitching for a team that has been super aggressive in spending money. People have asked me, uh, where do you think Jordan Montgomery is going to wind up? I, I, you know, I can't see another team stepping in and outbidding the Rangers who seem to have no problem uh, outbidding uh, opponents by 30, 40, 50, 90% as they did with the Jacob deGrom negotiations. Next up, we've got Travis uh, here for Bleacher Tweets writes in. Based on the manager's track records remaining in the playoffs, do you think owners discount the value managers provide? I feel like baseball feel has become a bigger part of discussions in past months. Thoughts? 
Um, I don't think it's the owners. I think it's the the head of baseball operations. You know, you've got someone like Chris Young who basically, when he took over that job, said, I want Bruce Bochy to be my guy and has handed that over to him. You know, Chris Antonetti, uh, head of the most progressive, maybe the best front office in baseball over the last decade, handed the team over to Terry Francona. Uh, and, and, you know, with input from the front office, but there was always a collaborative feel there. Uh, I, I think the, the problems arise when you have front offices that tell the managers, look, this is the way we want you to do it. And it, it really has exposed, exposed some of the fault lines with a lack of leadership in the newest uh, generation of, of front office leaders. I mean, time and again, you see these situations where really simple uh, conversations, things that should be collaborative are not had. And it's terrible. Um, but I don't, I don't know if, uh, you know, there are owners who necessarily look at that uh, and, and, you know, make their assessments based on, you know, what they're seeing, the relationship between the general manager and the manager. As I said to Tim, I think it's an embarrassment for the Padres organization that that relationship between, um, you know, between A.J. Preller and Bob Melvin couldn't be worked out. Great point. Last one for today, David Crawley, he asked this question. So he tweets in, he asked this question on October 9th, 2022, during last year's postseason. He bumped this question today, or yesterday, I should say. Same question last year still applies. The question last year was, if a player, if a team chooses a player for a playoff roster, and in this case, Craig Craig, Craig Kimbrell will be released and replaced during the roster uh, during a postseason series, can you dump someone mid-series? And he's asking, basically, can the Phillies do that to Craig Kimbrell? Not based on performance. There has to be an injury <laughs> involved. Like if uh, you know Craig Kimbrell strained his shoulder during those two games, you could take him off the roster, and then he wouldn't be eligible for the postseason. But not for performance. In fact, during the mm. 1973 World Series, Charlie Finley, who owned Oakland uh, at that time, was so mad with how Mike Andrews, the second baseman, was playing that he uh, attempted to take him off a roster after he made some errors and there was pushback and a big fight and the whole thing ensued. They, they don't let you do that just for performance. Can Fair you imagine enough. if Reggie, ja- <laughs> I mean, if uh, George Steinbrenner had been allowed to do that, how many Yankees through his tenure would have been taken off the roster mid series, a graveyard full of them. I'm sure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I hope the, uh, the Craig Kimbrell experience goes a little bit better tonight for our pals, Hembo and Sarah. So, uh, hashtag bleacher tweets while you're watching game seven and game six tonight. We'll be back tomorrow. That's it for today. My thanks to Tim Hembo, Sarah Parker, Sarah and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to talk about every single day. Uh, I'm not sure, Taylor, what time our podcast production will happen tomorrow. I know I'm going to be on a plane. I'm thinking we might do our podcast on Tuesday sometime in the afternoon. What do you think? Or are we going to aim for early in the morning? Uh, I'm kind of an early morning guy with these postseason pods. So we'll we'll have to see. It's based on your comfort level with, uh, you know, connections and spots. In well, the airport, I think you need but... to reach out to our man, Carl Ravage, then. Okay. Yeah. Early you bird know? gets the worm with Ravi. He's probably coming off a yeah. workout. I mean, and he, he's someone who, when he wakes up, he's got that Ravi on-air voice immediately. Beautiful So maybe voice. that's who we'll go to, and he'll have just finished calling Game 7 of this Astros and Rangers series. All right. I'll reach out. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. 
claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.